You know, people think some huge trauma needs to happen before you can use therapy, but really, you can use therapy to get the tools before something bad happens. Visit BetterHelp.com hacks and learn some new things to help navigate life. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I think about just in the last you know, few days, and a former president put out saying this election was rigged. Now, democracy is not a football. You don't throw it around. It's more like a, I don't know, antique vase. You could drop it and smash it in a million different pieces. And that's what we're capable of doing if we don't stand up to meet the moment and push back. There you have it, a triumphant Gavin Newsom after the votes, uh, or at least enough of the votes were counted uh, in California to affirm the fact that he won a resounding victory and re- uh, rejection of the move to recall him. Uh, Gibbs, big, big night, uh, big night for him. I, it sounded yes. a little bit to me like he was uh, auditioning for future presidential uh, activities, but uh uh, but you guys are here right to feel chippy last night. Yeah, I think there's, uh, and we'll get into this. I, I think it not only restored him to uh, successfully continuing his term as, as governor of California, but I, I have no doubt we'll, we'll use this to catapult himself a bit more back on a national track, uh, which um, maybe for a few months uh, got off track, if you will. Um in uh, in having to fight a, a recall that, as you said, he defeated uh, quite handily. I, I, the Republicans in California lasted longer than uh, Evander Holyfield did this weekend <laughs> at the Donald Trump fight, but not a lot longer. Yeah. Well, with us today is not only an expert hack watcher, if not hack herself, but also an expert on California recalls by dint of a new podcast that series that she's done on the last California uh, recall election. Dana Bash, co-anchor of State of the Union on CNN, their chief political correspondent, colleague of of mine. Dana, good to see you. Nice to see you. I think I'm. I think you can call me a hackophile. All right, we'll take that. <laughs> we like that. That's, I feel a T-shirt coming on. So. I'll wear it proudly. So, what were your big uh, takeaways, Dana, from from last night, uh, because I think there were some augurings there beyond California. Well, my biggest takeaway is that you had the line of the night on CNN, which is that the French laundry dinner was the most expensive dinner in the history <laughs> of dinners. Um, but, but, but in terms of the actual recall, it there was a lot of concern, and you you two know this far better than I, that gavin newsom himself and the people around him just like weren't getting it that this was a real thing and that the recall was going to happen this is you know months ago of course and that they weren't taking it seriously enough but they did and and then some and i just thought from an observer's point of view and somebody who has watched a lot of campaigns and the way they do things right and 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 wrong with regard to messaging it ended up being pretty pitch perfect because it's not a, often that somebody who is going through an election that is by definition a referendum on them. This isn't just a regular election. It yeah, it's up or down calendar, on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turned it into a referendum on everybody else, on Trump, on Ron DeSantis in Florida, on Greg Abbott in, 
in uh, in Texas and did it pretty pretty well. Now we had the right audience for it, which is the state of California, which is pretty darn blue. But it didn't mean that people were jazzed up enough to actually vote in the recall, and they did in large part because that message um, resonated. Don't you think? Yeah, Gibbs. I, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, you and I worked a lot of campaigns, and when you have an embattled incumbent, and there's no more embattled incumbent when you you've got a recount. Your mission number one is to make sure that it's not about them, yeah. uh, that it's a choice and not a referendum. Uh, mission number two is to make sure to frame that choice in a way that gets your people uh, energized, right. and uh, you know, and and that people that you frame the stakes in a way that drives people your way and drives people uh, out and 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 uh, and they they did all those things uh, you know New- Newsom's campaign I thought they may have been late to get to it and it was in fact his stupid idea to go to a lobbyist's birthday party mm. at the French Laundry the fanciest restaurant in California when he when he was telling everybody to stay home one of the fanciest restaurants in the world it's good Literally. by the way I, I have <laughs> I have had the pleasure of eating there but not during the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and now when I was you governor, governor of California, of California. no but Gibbs, it, it seemed to me like uh, they they did a lot of things, as Dana said, they did a lot of things right to produce what turned out to be a pretty handsome margin there. Yeah, I think they realized, I mean, look, I think the world got a bit of a shock mid to late summer when you had a couple of polls. Let's put a little asterisk by polls because we don't know now. <laughs> I, I don't know how much I trust polling uh, before this and, and, and after this. But a couple of polls that showed either a neck and neck race and one poll actually that showed yes on the recall ahead by almost 10 points. And I think what they those polls also demonstrated was, again, not surprisingly, the people that had organized the recall and people that wanted to recall the governor had a far greater intensity of wanting to participate in this recall than, quite frankly, most people that probably didn't know much of it was going on. And I think to both of your points, instead of making this a referendum on all the things that aren't going right in California or the world that can be blamed on one person, they changed this into a race against Larry Elder and Donald Trump, kind of first and foremost. And to, to Dana's point, I think pulling in kind of the the bad guy of the day to 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 help propel that message. So making it a choice was was the smart thing because as we've talked about a lot the makeup of this electorate is such that if you get Democrats, if you get right. most Democrats out to vote for the Democrat, it's not going to be a close race. Right. And and, and so the, the strategy was always pretty, I think, I think it was right in front of them. They just had to to really execute and, and increase that intensity. And I think you saw you saw this cavalcade of, you know. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are on TV. Kamala Harris is there. Joe Biden is there. Barack Obama's on TV. I mean, all of a sudden it became essentially a Democratic primary, right? And so I think the one thing that will be interesting as we think through what lessons, if any, to draw of this, and I'm always loath to do that, but Gavin Newsom did very successfully get the base animated around making sure people wear masks getting vaccinated, taking COVID seriously, basing it off science. And we see this on a national level, right? About two-thirds of the people in the country, close to two-thirds of the people are vaccinated. 
And you have the Ron DeSantis's and the, the Greg Abbott's, the governor of Texas of the world, appealing to 25 or 33 percent of the country that that are up in arms about their lack of freedom. And I've always thought and I continue to think that that is a base strategy. Yeah, it totally is. It's not a general election strategy. And it's definitely not a general election strategy in a state as blue as California. That is that is fundamentally the message that was underscored by California uh, by this 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 uh, recall election uh, again, which is the Republican Party has a completely different dynamic. It's 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 uh, controlled a lot by Trumpism, and uh, the internal dynamics of the Republican Party drive people to make decisions that make them viable in the Republican Party and unviable beyond the Republican Party. And that's why I think that one of the lessons I I. I totally am with you, uh, Mr. Gibbs, about being loath to take lessons from something that is very specific and putting it in through a national lens. However, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is a reminder of where the GOP is right now. Right. Because you did have, yeah, nobody was Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you did have more moderate Republicans who have legitimate uh, credentials who are more California. Let me just jump in on that, yeah. and, uh, which is, you know, to, just to say that Kevin Faulkner, yeah, the uh, former exactly mayor of San about, Diego, yeah. was someone who the, 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 the uh, uh, Newsom people really feared. Exactly. And he, he, I don't know that he rose out of double digits. I haven't looked lately at the- He hadn't as of last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who it just shows you how the gravity, uh, the gravitational pull of the party has moved so far to the right that Larry exactly. Elder, he, he didn't he didn't do well, uh, you know, in the sense that Newsom won an overwhelming victory. He became a foil for Newsom, but he also steamrolled the field of mm-hmm. 46 people and won a, a huge victory uh, to and- become the sort of standard bearer, much to the delight of of gavin newsom yeah and and so there was there was no traditional there was no primary because it's a recall but because newsom and his team effectively froze out and and told every legitimate democrat do not run don't be the cruz bustamante of of 2021 referring to the 2003 recall yeah it kind of was a primary it kind of was a primary and so that's why i think that this could be a telltale sign for some of these really key maybe house districts but more importantly the senate races because if you have donald trump behind a trump candidate in these primaries like you said they can't win necessarily the general election in some of these states yeah this is the mitch mcconnell nightmare yep which he's seen over and over (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, I I really I think this is a problem that's almost impossible to solve because you can't win if you're not the nominee. And in the Republican Party, it's hard to be the nominee if you're not Trump, if you're not a Trump Republican. And so, you you know, right now, as we're sitting here and we should talk about the problems of the Democratic Party, too. But if you're sitting here right now, you'd say, look, history suggests Democratic Party will lose seats in 2022. It, the governing party normally does. Democrats have a very slim majority in the House. They're tied in the Senate. That is alone a prescription for trouble. And then you have redistricting on top of that. Uh, and uh, and and so 
Democrats are facing a pretty uh, tough picture in 2022. And the one thing they've got going for them is Republicans. And uh, this 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 uh, dynamic that's really hard for Republicans to solve. Uh, Larry Elder wasn't an accident. Uh, and by the way, he was on Fox News. Uh, Jonathan Martin in his analysis this morning noted that uh, in the Times that 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 Larry Elder was on Fox News like 52 times during mm-hmm. the during the course of that primary. Why? Because he speaks that language. He's you know he is outrageous and uh, Trumpian, and uh, that that that's good for. Uh, and he's a conservative talk show host. He's one of them. Right. Yes. A <laughs> couple of things, though, I think to to pick up on that you guys have mentioned. I mean, I appreciate that there that Republicans have this dream of the right moderate Republican can win California. Um, uh, to your point, Axe, I don't know that any of I, I don't know that that person is 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 going to get ever get close to at least in the short term to being the nominee. Um, because I think if you look at exactly Kevin Falconer was going to be the guy. He may well be the candidate in in 2022. I mean, San Diego County voted 59 percent no. So it, it, if Kevin Falconer is is the is the guy who's going to pick up the mantle, uh, he, he there's a lot more um, he, there's a lot more that has to get done. I do want to pick up, though, I think just on this meta of referendum and choice, because I think if again, if there's any takeaway I think, and look, this Democratic strategist at a national level and a congressional level understand this, but this also is exactly what Democrats have to do in 2022, right? <laughs> if, if, and, and X, we know this, we, we lost 63 seats uh, in, in 2010. Yes, Who can I forget? remember. I, I still have, Who's counting? I still have the tire tracks <laughs> on my ass. Yes, I, I <laughs> yes, I, I hear you. Um the, but but I think if if Joe Biden becomes the person that you blame everything on, uh, and as Joe Biden used to say to Barack Obama, if if you have to get yeah. compared to the Almighty, yeah. it's it's hard to win that yeah. race. But if you get compared to the other side, to the alternative, you got to get right. the alliteration in there. Yeah. Yes, um, <laughs> it, when you when you when you get compared to the alternative rather than the Almighty, that uh, that that choice is something that can work out. For Democrats. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Let's take a short break and hear from our sponsors. Ever have one of those ideas, Robert, that you just don't know how to get started on making it to a reality? All the time. Yeah. If you've procrastinated on this, you're not alone. Experts say that not knowing how or where to start is one of the biggest causes of procrastination and not following through on an idea and projects. X, that's where the Blinkist app comes in. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books, pulls out the key takeaways and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can learn from in just X 15 minutes. Use Blinks to learn about how to tackle procrastination, get started on developing an idea or a business, or simply how to take your projects one step further. Yeah, you can use Blinkist when you're commuting to work, driving in the car, making breakfast. It's just so, so convenient. And it's really, really valuable. Yeah, use Blinks to learn about topics like philosophy, history, science, dive into psychology, health, nutrition, or personal growth. They've got thousands of titles to pick from. You can read A Promised Land, Fear, A Short History of Brexit, or The Future of Capitalism, Max. 
Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash hacks to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash hacks to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash hacks. If Joe Biden passes these, and we'll talk about this in a second, these big bills, that'll be to his credit. You know, uh, if the economy improves, if, if, if he gets a, a handle on the virus, all those things may redound to his credit. But this is not going to be, if, Democrat, if Democrats are going to resist all of this pressure against them, they can't make this election about Joe Biden. They can't make it about Joe Biden. They have to, they have to do what uh, they did in California, and they have mm-hmm. to scare the shit out of Democratic voters about mm-hmm. what could happen. And I'll tell you something. It's not just about Trump or about the virus, although that's, this has become a big theme. Uh, we'll see where it is in 2022. But it's about the Texas abortion law mm-hmm. and voting rights and, and truth. a lot of things. And truth itself. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think that was the big message that Joe Biden delivered out in California. Like, this is like, we. there's a lot going on here. And you heard it in Newsom's quote mm-hmm. at the top. They People have, they have to inculcate Democrats with that sense of, of, of fear about, uh, about, you know, what, what's going on, on on the other side. Well, and part of it was, you know, we, we had, you know, th- there's always great pre-buttal messages about the outcome of the race, you know, but but the pre-buttal we got in the on the Republican side in the recall was fraud, mm. right? And and you know, I think d- Democrats are going to, I hope, put this in front of Republicans, uh, Republican elected officials, people running for office, so that people in the suburbs and and everywhere else can hear this. A close election doesn't mean fraud. Right. And I, you know, I think Larry Elder was probably had that gun loaded last night. I'm going to go out and talk about fraud. And then mm-hmm. kind of hard to argue fraud when you're down like four million votes. Right. That's a that's well, more than a few trucks full of uh, fraudulent votes coming in from Nevada. You know why they have to argue fraud? Because Donald Trump demands mm-hmm. it. Exactly. He's doing it. He did it on this on this race. He led the way in a couple of statements. He he cannot let go of this theme because if if his theme is that by definition, mail-in ballots lead to fraud, uh, and you know, eighty percent of the ballots in this race were mail-in ballots. I mean, this just sustains his big lie narrative, and you have to pledge your fealty to him by accepting that narrative. You saw it in the CNN poll this week, where you know, fifty-nine percent of Republicans sort of embraced this as as part of their understanding of what it means to be a Republican, saying. The election was was fraudulent. Yeah, another thing that is gonna is gonna just bedevil people like Mitch McConnell is how many races are you gonna win if three mm-hmm. days beforehand you come out with a statement that says when we lose it will be because the other guys cheated. Mm-hmm. Like I, I cannot think of a better get out the vote operation for Democrats <laughs> than having the leader of the Republican Party say. Hey, don't bother voting. Exactly. They're going to steal it anyway. It's what well, happened it's on, in Georgia. It's on Georgia, yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll tell you something else. If you keep telling Republicans that mail-in ballots are fraudulent, <laughs> uh, then you're just discouraging them from using a tool that, frankly, Republicans used to be pretty good at using. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the whole thing is, I mean, you know, uh, uh, it, it, they've, they've got a big problem. A couple of other things on this. Uh, 
you know, I think we'll see. Nate Cohn had a kind of a, a, a different cut on this this morning, Nate Cohn in the Times. But uh, the, the exit polling suggested that uh, Newsom only won Hispanic voters by mm-hmm. six points. He had won them by 22 when he ran for governor. I don't know what the truth of it will be. Cohn says when you look at the precincts, it doesn't sort of bear that out. But I think it is it is that we've seen enough evidence to understand that there, it is too facile to assume that Hispanic voters are going to vote Democratic. Absolutely. Uh, Especially know, Latino men. Yes. And, you know, uh, it, it is a long, it is, you know, the assimilation story of American politics goes on for generations, but these guys are voting more like working class white yep. uh, male voters. And uh, it dem- you know, I thought of it when I heard uh, Gavin Newsom talking about democracy as an antique vase. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, I wonder how many of those guys have antique vases. You know, and it sort of underscores the problem, a little bit of a problem of the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, they don't most people don't have antique vases or eat at the French laundry. And uh, so that that's an issue that Democrats uh, have to uh, have to confront how, you know, increasingly. And this was another election. Uh, Democrats are dependent on college educated white voters on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's, uh, you know, you, can you see that? again and again and not end up in a jam in some of these very, very contentious states and uh, and districts. Do you think it's still college-educated versus non-college educated, or is it more geographical? Well, I think it's both. It's both. No, uh, there's no doubt that that is a, I mean, but the fact is that the metropolitan areas are kind of a magnet for, um, for more, more of the college-educated uh, yeah. uh, voters, but uh, there's there, the we saw the urban rural split again in this election. The problem for Democrats is the way we elect representatives. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you aggregate in metropolitan areas, you know mm-hmm. you're going to create all kinds of places where uh, you have homogenous, uh, uh, you know, red uh, red electorate. So it, it's a problem. Where I wanted to go uh, before we move on is is just a little bit more on the virus because, you know, it's interesting. This whole thing started because of the virus. I mean, Newsom, mm-hmm. people were frustrated with Newsom's handling of the virus, the French laundry debacle. Uh, that's what put the jet fuel behind it. It also ended with a virus because the Delta, mm-hmm. the Delta strain came. Uh, Newsom took some very tough measures. People are scared and worried and frustrated because the people who are vaccinated are pissed at the people who aren't. Mm-hmm. And one of the tabs that the uh, that the uh, Newsom campaign was uh, circulating was just how thoroughly Newsom dominated among voters who had been vaccinated, which were mm-hmm. in, among the electorate, they say, was as much as 75 percent. Uh, so that that in a, in a way whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated becomes another very, very indicative tab on how you might vote in an election. Yeah. And and you're exactly right. When this all started, the vaccine vaccine didn't exist. You know, it was just, it was just in the fall. It didn't exist. And now because of the vaccine, it has made the COVID debate completely different and exactly how you laid it out. And it really does go to the fundamental question of one of the questions is what is what is the government even there for? What do you want in your government? And it's at the at its core to help protect you and to pre- help protect people who are part of a society. 
And there's nothing that I can remember in my life that has been more personal than the, how the vaccine and masks play into Yeah, that. yeah. You have, and you have a, a child who's probably not vaccinated yet. Right. He's not old enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so on masking, supporting mandatory masking uh, in this uh, exit poll, 70% said they supported mm -hmm. it. Of course, Newsom won that overwhelmingly. 63, uh, the, the virus was the number one issue. 63% of those uh, who uh, who were, uh, who were voted yesterday felt that Newsom's, uh, his tough measures on masking and on requirements around vaccination uh, were either uh, about right or not strong enough. 63%. Mm -hmm. So there are lessons here. I mean, Biden... Biden's on, uh, you know, I think I think he's on some pretty solid ground here. And you see the national polls reflecting that there may be regional differences that are so. But, Dana, talk about your podcast. You went back to the last California recall, mm -hmm. which was a much different story with a very different. Answer. Yeah, very different uh, story and very different. End. Although I will say, first of all, this has been so much fun um, when this this podcast that we're talking on drops, we will have two episodes out and there will probably be in the end um, six or seven. And the, the final one will be my interview with the governor himself. I went out and uh, fun. Yeah. Sat in his, in his uh, Los Angeles home and met his, his donkey and his mini horse. And <laughs> more importantly, um, talk I hope he doesn't candidly. ride that poor mini horse. He doesn't, but yeah. he does feed the, the donkey very special homemade oatmeal cookies which he had me try first before I gave it to the donkey. And I thought, God, the things um, you'll do for an interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're actually pretty good. Um, but in any event, it was, it was, it's a really fascinating interview because he was, he was quite candid and, and looking back a lot about how it came to be really, really interesting stuff. I will give you a little teaser about how Ted Kennedy helped him, which hmm. I didn't realize um, his well, uncle. Well, they were related back then. His yeah. uncle-in-law. Yeah. But, but there, even though, the outcome could not have been more different. And so many of the aspects, most of the aspects are very different. The one through line is, is, and was the anger. And again, talking about sort of the personality or the, the personal nature of politics back then it was rolling blackouts. It was not fun to be sitting in the dark. It was the car tax. People in California love their cars. They don't have any choice, uh, but to drive cars and Gray Davis, the democratic governor then increase the car tax. So there were there was a sort of all of these factors that conspired to sink his poll numbers in a way that Gavin Newsom never saw. The, the through line is though that there is a lot of anger. It wasn't just and it changed a lot. The anger flipped on COVID because of the Delta virus, but it's not just that. People are mad about the high cost of housing. People are mad about the homeless crisis. People are mad about the fires. And so and a lot of other things. And so there, there were differences. And that was one of the things that, that Schwarzenegger actually said to me, even though um, it, there were similarities, even, even though there are, uh, there are big differences. And the biggest yeah. difference, by the way, just in terms of the raw politics, is that the Newsom campaign explicitly learned from 2003 and I mentioned this before by yeah keeping by Democrats off the ballot, keeping the, aggressively keeping them off the ballot, and having donors kind of warn Democrats, do not do this because we don't want to give any Democratic voter an alternative that they could live with.
Well, first of all, what's a, the podcast? What's it called? That, uh, thank you. The podcast is called Total Recall, California's Political Circus. And you can get it wherever you find your podcasts. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. They'll be happy at CNN Audio that you, uh, <laughs> you, know, that you said You that. know them. Yes. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, you know what I've discovered late in life? What's that, Axe? I've discovered that one way to de-stress is to go out on a long walk or a jog and put in your earbuds and just listen to music and forget about all this crap that we talk about each week here and worry about. And let me tell you, the best way to do it, I discovered, is with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds. Whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work, or work out as you do, I know, my friend, Raycons are your go-to for on-the-go audio. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. And if Murphy were here, he would attest to that as well. He loves those with an improved rubber oil look and feel and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These are impressive before you even start listening. But when you start listening, you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. There's also an all-new awareness mode because you don't want to have people sneaking up on you, right? For when you need to listen to your surroundings instead. And, Gibbs, listen to this, Raycon offers eight hours of playtime, and a 32-hour battery life. That's a long time. And that's about the length of my runs. I, 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 you know me, I like to really air it out. There's also a built-in mic, and you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. So it's got it all. And, and here's the best part. It starts at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. What should people do, Robert? Like me, they should contemplate you going for a long jog with just the right hours. amount of bass. 32 hours. Just the right amount of bass to your jog. <laughs> I've got great news for Hacks on Tap listeners. You can get 15% off your Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash hacks. That's B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash hacks to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash hacks. The economy was one of the top issues behind coronavirus and homelessness. Uh, among those who called the economy the top issue, 68% voted yes. In other words, 68 uh, voted to, uh, to expel Newsom. There, there is some, uh, that if you were a Democrat, you'd look at that and that'd be a little bit of a, a, a red light uh, for you going into 2022. Um, I mean, there are folks out there who, who are, you know, deeply unsettled still. And even with everything that Washington is doing, they're going to have to work to make those folks believe that they're on their side, you know? There are some worrisome signs there. I would say the the one question I guess I would have for pollsters is, so to me, I think COVID and the economy are extremely hard to separate, right? If we've got a surge in Delta variant or the next variant or whatever it is, it's going to have economic consequences. So I kind of bake that into COVID. I think the economy here were, you know, were a lot of small business owners that were concerned about closures, about rules and regulations. And I think one of the things that was troublesome, 
you know, Newsom, Newsom navigated this in an interesting way. If you go back to the beginning of COVID, you know, he, he was he was doing a lot of these things that you saw governors doing. He was doing a briefing every day. He was involved. You know, he was out front. He was kind of con- helping to control the message. I think one of the things that happened, and I think this is a I think this is a lesson for governing out of this pandemic is I think people felt there was a complete and utter randomness to how decisions were being made location to location. So you had and you saw Newsom kind of give this up the beginning of last summer and let counties decide. Right. So you had one county next to another county making very different decisions. There wasn't a lot of baseline data where we said, hey, if cases per 100,000 are at some level, what we should be doing, we're going to change this. And, you know, you could see some restaurants in Los Angeles that allowed outdoor dining, some that didn't. And it just it, it became really, I think, hard for people to grasp and understand. I think to me, that's a governing lesson yeah. uh, out of all this. And look, I think, too, I wouldn't want to be on the ballot right now, right? I don't think anybody would, right? you you got governors having to make really I've been tough- circulating petitions to get you on the ballot. <laughs> okay. Should I stop? Well, yes, you should. <laughs> but I think there's been a lot of – these are a lot of very tough decisions. They're not – these are not like – should I cut taxes by a lot or a little? These are, yeah. you know, should I shut the economy down? Should I close mm-hmm. restaurants? Right, and let's be right. clear, like, if anybody's ever looked at the, the P&L of a restaurant, you, you can't take a quarter of the dining room, fill it up with, a, with, with one quarter of the people and make money. It just doesn't work. It, you know, it, you know it, 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 so I, look, I, I think there's been some frustration on that. I think, I think one of the reasons why and you mentioned the sort of lack of patience from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. I think that's what's finally spurred Biden to do, quite frankly, what I don't think he really wanted to do, which was step in and do something strong on mandates yeah. and, and to really try to get out in front of this, knowing that, you know, if he continued to navigate this on the up and down of the virus surging, um, that that's not a good strategy. Um, for governing or for his political health. And so try to get ahead of that, I think, was what he was trying to do last week. I think he uh, he was about three or four weeks late, to be honest with you on that. And I think if they're honest, they, they, they probably would think so, too. The, he had to deal with Afghanistan and other things in the interim. But I, I, I think, you know, he probably firmed himself up a little uh, by, uh, by, by taking a tougher approach. Uh, a tougher stance on this. Last last note on this. One of the things in the cross tabs was, uh, do you think the uh, that climate change is a serious problem? I want you to know, seventeen percent of people in California said no. It's not a serious. But who are these assholes? Their state is burning. Their state is burning. How can they say it's not a serious problem? What don't they get? space lasers well you can ask them when they're on their rafts floating in the in the ocean at the place where their houses used to be because the oceans are rising yeah well it's better be a raft because there's not going to be any rivers to float down either you know uh i mean uh because drought is another issue uh Mm. out there but but damn that was a bracing uh little uh tab i take a little comfort in that that it's only 17 percent 
Yeah, it probably would have been much higher, uh, right. much higher not long ago. So, okay, I withdraw. I, I don't withdraw the fact that who, I don't withdraw the who are these assholes, but I will acknowledge yes. that 83% get that their state is on fire and that's not a good thing. Right. That one in six don't see it happening or don't believe it's happening is, is certainly alarming. And, and those are the same people that are, you know, if you don't believe in the science of climate change, you also probably don't believe in the science of masking or vaccines. But look, I, it's a sl- slightly heartening to understand that five and six in California do believe it's a problem. I used, I used to be the calming influence around here. I, I, now it's you. Well, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what happened here. It's an awkward uh, it's a it's it's an awkward set of whiplash, I think, for probably <laughs> yeah. both of us. <laughs> All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. You know, Gibbs, science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep restores testosterone levels. You hear that? And repairs muscle after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and the Cube Sleep systems hydro powered, temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. I actually can't imagine that. Chili Sleep can help make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the Chili Blanket, the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. I got to tell you, man, this is big news because... I've always had a hard time sleeping, and I think I may not be chilly enough, so I'm uh, looking forward to this. Well, if you're like Axe and you've had trouble sleeping, head over to chillysleep.com slash hacks to learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for Hacks on Tap listeners and only for a limited time. That's chilly, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash hacks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up like Axe, refreshed every day. And don't sleep on this offer. On this issue of of the nature of the Republican Party, Dana, we had this interesting weekend um, mm-hmm. and sobering weekend, the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. And we all can tell stories. I, I heard yours on, on CNN and, uh, and each of us can tell stories about that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the most interesting thing about that weekend, it seems to me, was George W. Bush, mm-hmm. former President Bush, who never comes out, rarely speaks, and certainly doesn't speak in a way that is meant to be provocative. Let's listen to his bite. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit. And it is our continuing duty to confront them. 
So the master of foul spirits, uh, Donald Trump, immediately fired on on Bush for having uh, said that. But Robert, it it, it struck me uh, that Bush is not he's not at home in his own party anymore. I mean, he got sort of attacked for saying what he said, for maligning the the insurrectionists, which he clearly was. We've come a long way. You know? Yeah, and by the way, by the Trump, by the way, what, he 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 attacked Bush on a ground that Bush is, uh, you know, vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you know, he kind of left he 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 rather than pursuing Al Qaeda in Afghanistan and making that the focus of his efforts, we shifted focus to Iraq, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons we were in Afghanistan for for twenty years. It, it's a good point, mm-hmm. but so was Bush's. I was struck. I think like all of us were. Um, not just in the words, but in the fact that he did it. Um, yeah. And and I, I don't, I mean, I, I think it was, and to do it on such a big day, I mean, this is a, th- no day shaped the Bush presidency over eight years more than that day did. Uh, and to 20 years on reflect on it and draw parallels to what happened on January the 6th, um, I, I think is impressive. Look, you, you, you we have to go back and recall you know, George Bush went to a mosque uh, mm-hmm. not long after September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm struck by I think it was September 17th. I looked it up because yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Robert. Yeah. And you look now, I mean, remember, um, you know, we, we've we've traveled a, a, a road around the vilification of um, of caricatures uh, for a long time. And I think George Bush tried to hold some of that back when he was president. And quite frankly, we know Donald Trump not only unleashed it, but played to it every chance he could get. And I think that's the difference between the parties now. Look, I'm glad Bush said it. I, I'm i I'm also a little sanguine that I think its impact outside of people like us <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is going to be very small. I think the people that are that feel this rage. He's not going to change minds. Are not listening no. to this, and they're certainly not. They're they're not likely listening to George W. Bush. I think it's now that have been said. I, I think a lot of Republicans have to say it. I think a lot more have to say it, and I think a lot more has to be done in order to get this out of their body politic because mm-hmm. it's um, it is stuck, and it is you know Donald Trump knows the easy applause lines, and he knows the very the cultural arguments to make, the nativist arguments to make, and he knows that nobody else can do it like he can. Nothing about what happened in California. I mean, if they're log- if they're sensible, they'll say, we, we're on a losing, we're making a losing bet here. But uh, nothing about it says to me the Republican Party is, a, is about to emerge from that. No. No. I mean, that Republican Party is gone. Well, it, just, yeah. it just is. It just is. The, Bu- the Bush Republican Party has been and was completely um, subsumed by Trumpism and even more so now. And and the one thing I will say is watching that, and, and I covered uh, his administration. I, I started covering it right before the Iraq war. Um, and so I covered the George W. Bush, who was the Iraq war president, the one you guys ran against successfully, um, the notion of, of, uh, of the Iraq war. It, and, and so he obviously left and that was that was his legacy that was yeah. his legacy and as i was listening to that speech i was sitting on the grounds of the pentagon for for cnn coverage and i just all i kept thinking was this is now part of his legacy 
I mean, that is, it was one of those speeches that you know will always be remembered, will always be um, noted and referred to from here on out when yeah. you talk about George W. Bush because, because he didn't talk like this ever. He's all about the protocols and the traditions of former presidents. And so that made it more powerful. Kibbs can speak to this as well, but uh, I will always remember how gracious he was to us in the transition because, you know, as you point out, we weren't exactly complimentary of President Bush <laughs> in our campaign. You picked I mean, up on we, that? Yeah, that was a, you know, his failures were a recurrent, a recurrent or our differences with him were a recurrent theme, but he did everything he could to make the transition uh, work. And he, he could not have been kind. I mean, he was kind to me personally and gave me, uh, you know, uh, uh, some inspiration uh, mm. on Inauguration Day. And I, I will never uh, forget that. And the message I took away from that is he believed that whether we agreed or not, that he was a trustee of the democracy mm -hmm. and that he had he wanted to hand over the reins of government to us in good shape because that was his responsibility yeah. as a trustee of the democracy. Nothing could be more different than Donald Trump, who's 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 made yeah. sundering the institutions of democracy his personal mission. Can I just turn the tables for one second? I just I'm curious what you both think as <laughs> the two highest professionals who, you know, successfully ran against the notion of the Iraq war. I'm, I'm sober. Campaign. Gibbs is high. I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, do you, what do you, what do you make of the flawed messenger notion that like it was what he said was right, but is he really the guy to deliver it? I think, as you said, I think he's thinking of his place in history and I don't mean mm -hmm. that in a pejorative way. I think he's, mm -hmm. and, and look, I think what, 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 David just talked about, I think has been handed down to George Bush from his father, from, you know, his grandfather. Um, I mean, I think there's a, a, a belief in a different way of governing, but of governing, right? I think the contrast that you see today, and I think the reason he, he is a flawed messenger on this, or maybe not a, an effective messenger on this, is you look at what's happening, you know, um, with, uh, with Liz Cheney in, in Wyoming. Right. Very, very much connected to the Bush time period. Right. Um, maybe not Liz as much as 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 Vice President Dick Cheney. But Donald Trump makes an endorsement this week. The two senior senators of Wyoming are both nowhere to be found for Liz Cheney. Right. They're they're now either not going to get involved or don't rule out endorsing her opponent. And and, you know, again, it, it, it it goes to show you that a George Bush can say something on on, a, on as hallowed a day as nine eleven, and its impact is not felt far outside of the Beltway. Uh, when you get into places where Trump is still Trump, and that's a lot of places in the Republican Party. We saw that in California. We see it in Wyoming. We see it all yeah. over the country. I uh, Dana, first of all, I I think he is challenged on a day like nine eleven. Uh, just because of all the, the controversy surrounding some of the decision making that he made, but uh, but uh, as we said earlier, I I just you know I I wholeheartedly agree with him, and I think he was motivated. As yes, the, there is his legacy issue. I think he's also scared. I think he's worried about his country, and uh, felt called to speak out. And I applaud him for doing it. But I don't. Uh, un sadly, I I don't know. That you know now now there may be some people who are those kind of swing suburban 
voters who have voted Republican all their lives who are more sort of Bush Romney Republicans than they may be influenced. But but by and large, no, I don't think he's the best messenger. But I think he was as a former president of the United States, as a trustee of our democracy, it was the right thing to do. Dana, you're a uh, uh, I got to take advantage of your many different expertise here. And one of them is uh, you've been watching. Are Capital we going to talk Hin- about the Osmonds now? <laughs> that's that's how we close. Don't okay, jump. Good. Don't jump ahead. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but Congress, you in your role as the co-anchor of State of the Union, you did a couple of uh, interesting interviews uh, on Sunday, and we've got little bites from each. Uh, one from uh, from uh, Joe Manchin, uh, and one from Bernie Sanders, who are central players in the drama that's unfolding, even as we speak on Capitol Hill about how and whether the Biden program on infrastructure and on uh, human infrastructure moves forward. So let, let's listen to those. We don't have an urgency, don't you think? We ought to debate a little bit more, talk about it, and see what we've got out there. So you're not against this? You could support this $3.5 trillion no, plan? No, I cannot support $3.5 okay. okay. trillion. Okay. okay, so that now, is a... Okay. All right, now yeah. we're getting to Brad. <laughs> but the bottom line here is, if you think about the House as well, these two bills, the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill are marching down the path together. Yeah. Mr. Manchin, I know, worked very hard on the bipartisan bill. It would be a terrible thing for the American people if both of those bills fail. They are linked together. They're going to go forward together. The first clip was from Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, but you had a similar conversation with Manchin on State of the Union. So Manchin, guys, this is what I want to ask. Everybody focused on that Manchin said he wouldn't support the $3.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. That and that he uh, wanted more time. Um, you could look at it a completely different way, which is to say, he Manchin said he would support something mm-hmm. that he will support a reconciliation bill. It just can't be three point mm-hmm. five trillion. And then you have Bernie Sanders. It's like these old, uh, uh, you know, hostage drama movies where the bad guy says, "It would be a shame if I had to shoot this beautiful woman," right? who you love if you don't do what I want. Uh, basically, Bernie's saying, we're going to take the whole thing down mm-hmm. if we don't get what we want. So how does it all end? So I'm so glad you said that because one of the goals that I had in the interview, I had to get through the top line question, 3.5, will you vote for it or not? Because that's you know kind of the, the, the big picture. But to me, the most important question are the individual policies that make up that 3.5 trillion. Is Joe Manchin supportive of the clean energy portion of of the bill? To that, he said no. Is Joe Manchin supportive of the huge price tag that is the expansion of the child tax credit, making it permanent, which Democrats say is imperative to help families and children in poverty? His answer was not the way it's written. It has to be more targeted to people who he thinks really mm-hmm. need it. And it and it went on and on. I really kind of had a list of some of the yeah. specifics. So to me, that is what matters is how you get how you and they develop each of these policies or maybe have to jettison some that are the core. And it's not just and you you two know this better than I, how much the Democratic Party has changed, because these were the kind of fringe known as the fringe ideas of Bernie Sanders and his progressives. Right. And now it's President Biden's agenda. Right. And so what's he willing to give up? Well, you, one thing's for sure. If you go from $3.5 trillion to $2 trillion, some some stuff has to half. go. Yeah. 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 So Gibbs, 
I've always, and, and I think you and, and Murphy, and we've all operated under the assumption, I still do, that this is too big to fail. And that Bernie's right, that Democrats don't want to walk away and say, we're going to do nothing. That's can't. our answer. We're going to do nothing. Can't. But uh, yeah, so script it out. Tell me how the thing ends. With some compromise around one and a half to two trillion dollars. And what it means is, what it probably means is there's going to be some accounting tricks, right? Instead of you're going to do a, a, a bit more targeted child tax credit for six years instead of 10, which is probably what you can do in reconciliation or something that's quote unquote made permanent, and then dare Republicans in six years to raise taxes on every person that has a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there there's some there's going to be some creative accounting here. I will say this. I don't envision Democrats giving up on clean energy. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. I think um, uh, I, I, I don't. That's, I think, unbendable. And I think, you know, I, I think both um, was reported today that both uh, Manchin and Senator Cinema are headed down to the White House to see Joe Biden separately today to, to talk through a lot of this. Yeah. I, I think there's a compromise to be had. I'm going to change a little bit of what what um what bernie sanders told told dana as his kicker which is it would be a shame if this if these things went down for america it would be a a, a terrible thing if these things went down for the democratic party mm-hmm. i don't know how you make a, a a referendum election into a choice if in controlling government regardless of the margin you can't see this over the line and i think in the end that's what we'll get there. Joe Manchin will have enough to go back and tell West Virginia, I stopped all the crazy. Um, I think, quite frankly, progressives, if they step back and look at what happened in the recovery plan, uh, what's happening in bipartisan infrastructure, and what's going to happen in reconciliation, we'll see a number when you start to add all that up, somewhere probably close to $5 trillion total. That's, that is almost five, it's probably five million trillion dollars more than they envisioned that, that they'd get in the beginning. Because to Dan's <laughs> point, they thought, here comes moderate Joe Biden. This, here this, comes- is, the, this is the the, <laughs> da- the danger is, and we saw it with the Affordable Care Act when we couldn't get a uh, public option in. And a lot of uh, progressives said it was a failure. It was a surrender that they're going to accomplish something that's truly uh unprecedented and historic and there'll be democrats uh in the you know in the progressive base saying you know this was a surrender we didn't get everything we should have gotten this was we, this was squandered opportunity that would be that would be a huge mistake yeah uh, but 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 it would let's be- say this let, let, let's say let's say barack obama says okay you know what we didn't get a public option so screw doing health care Right. Right. Mm-hmm. When in the last 11 years would we have gotten health care reform done? Right. When in mm-hmm. the next 15 years would we get health care done? Let me let me put a finer point on it. I've met countless people over the last uh, uh, 10 years uh, who have been helped by that bill, who, who some people who say it saved my life, it saved my child's mm-hmm. life. I would hate to have told those people, you know what? We would have liked to save your child, mm-hmm. but we couldn't get a public option. Right. This is what governing requires. Yeah. It requires making compromises in order to make progress, even if you can't make all the progress yeah. you want. Okay, I got to get off you my- guys know- okay. go ahead. I was going to no, say, no, you guys know that Bernie Sanders, he's saying what he has to say. He's not yes. going to wave the white flag now. Well, that's what I was going to say. Listen, he's played it very smart. Everybody's using their leverage yes, right now. Yes, he's posturing, yeah. and he has leverage because of because of the 
uh, of the number yes. of progressives in the House. Yes. Joe Manchin is doing exactly what you'd expect Joe Manchin mm-hmm. to do, right? I mean, there is a calculated level of leaks. He gives a speech at a West Virginia like Chamber of Commerce, and all of a sudden that pops up on the like DC press. You know, he like, well, maybe we should we should pause this. And all of a sudden, like somebody reports that from Washington, which I'm sure, you know, Google Maps had him get through to West Virginia's Chamber of Commerce speech. He's very calculated. He knows what he's doing on his side. They all do. And Bernie and Bernie does too. Bernie is Bernie is I mean, Bernie knows he's not getting three and a half, but he's not walking away from three and a half. I think the thing for Bernie is as long as he gets his vision dental and well he may not get that well that's that's going to be a problem for him because he's made that his sin quan on that will be the real test well but the problem is is at that point then you're that that probably means you walk away from uh, a more permanent expansion of uh of um of Obamacare in in Bernie's hope of getting Medicare right. for all that, eventually. That's a Pelosi so, versus Bernie uh, yeah, fight and, right now. Put my five on on Nancy Pelosi on that. But no, I, <laughs> but here's my my only admonition to Democrats who have listened to the last twelve minutes and have gotten closer to the edge of um, uh, of their window sills. Don't jump. <laughs> um, there's a lot of public posturing going on. There's yeah, exactly. a lot of no, m- marker laying that's going on, and I can assure you of this. If everybody has something to bitch about at the signing ceremony, it probably means it was a pretty good thing. Well, I think a lot of bottom lines are going to be discussed at these White House meetings yes. uh, today. All right, we got to hit the mail. It's listener mail, <laughs> Dana, we practiced all week singing that, just like yeah. that for you. I don't, yeah. I didn't know you were such soprano. It's so hard to keep Gibbs in tune. Dana, <laughs> Nick, knowing almost had some sort of instinct that you were going to be on this uh, podcast. (laughs) And so he has a question that uh, only an expert on Congress can answer. In the past month, I've seen little news about the voting rights legislation before Congress. Does this mean that the Democrats have given up on pursuing this legislation in a moment when American democracy seems imperiled? Given this crisis, do we see Manchin and Cinema, the (laughs) aforementioned, voting against this legislation in order to preserve the filibuster when so much is at stake? Nick, you um, not only got the right person with regard to Congress, but I am in the middle of working on a voting rights documentary for CNN. So Ah, I have been following this. And the answer is, well, your your, your question is, is dead on because all of these changes in all of these states are going to stay in place for the most part, unless and until Congress acts and there's some kind of federal legislation. I actually asked Manchin about it uh, on State of the Union because my understanding is that he has been working hard to try to find some kind of bipartisan way to get at this. And when I say this, some at least federal oversight, whether it's putting what's known as preclearance back in the Justice Department, that's something that was one of the cornerstones of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that mandated that the Department of Justice could and would and should look at laws that are passed in in all 50 states and plus plus. And if the DOJ saw that they were problematic, that they disenfranchised people and so on and so forth, um, they could basically say, no, you can't do that. So in 2013, the Supreme Court said, that that part of the Voting Rights um, Act was was done away with, and that's 
one of the reasons why these states have been able to change so much. So the reason I gave all that backstory is, and you, you two know this better than I, that is one of the, the things that Congress, at, there's so many uh, aspects of the, of the, either the John Lewis bill or the broader voting rights legislation, but that is at its core, uh, one of the things that Democrats, especially in a lot of these states I talked to say needs to be done. So he's working on it, genuinely working on it, but he's not going to give up the filibuster in order to get this done. So yes or no, will there be voting rights legislation this fall? TBD. Oh man, what a I don't cop know. Out. I know. I don't know. What do you think? No. Uh, but what it depends what you no. consider voting rights. I mean, can they do like a super duper skeleton bill? I mean, I think it's possible. Here's the challenge is you've already seen this in the Republican messaging is we don't want to federalize elections. Now, they want to federalize a lot of stuff, but they don't want to apparently federalize elections. Which is what the 1965 Voting Rights exactly. Act was. Exactly. It sort of <laughs> says, hey, there's a there's a DOJ role, as you said, pre-clearance. Exactly. Like you can't, Texas can't decide to change its laws without the Justice Department saying that it it meets the Voting Rights Act. I just find it, I mean, look, I hate to be pessimistic on this, but if Joe Manchin's not giving up the filibuster for this, there are not 10 Republicans who are going to do this. They're just not. They're just yeah. not 10 Republicans. Well, as we as we speak today, uh, uh, Tim Kaine and Amy Klobuchar introduced uh, a revised uh, voting rights uh, update co-sponsored by Manchin. Uh, no, no Republicans uh, right. on this uh, on this bill. So you know, I don't know. They are talking about putting something through reconciliation. That would be super duper creative if they could figure that out. Would they have to wait and see what the um, parliamentarian says. parliamentarian mm-hmm. says about yeah. that? That would be very interesting. We, we, more on this for sure. Yeah. Uh, coming <laughs> up, Nick. Stay tuned. Uh, there'll be more. <laughs> yeah. There'll be more on this. Gibbs uh, Surya wants to know: Are independents really independent? Well, I should say yes and no, not to give a a, a wishy-washy Jesus. answer, but Man, I do think that's like a TBD. Are there some people that <laughs> that truly are? You hear this all the time. I don't vote for the party; I vote for the candidate. I do think there are some people that are that don't follow this all too often, or don't follow. They're probably uh, regrettably not uh, dedicated hacks on taps listeners. But I do think if you look at it, I think a lot of independents tend to lean in in one direction or to one party or another. Um, so get, let me give you an example around California, you know, in, in, and we've, we've heard these statistics a lot, the difference between the electorate this time in the recall and the 2003 recall Democrats went from 6.7 million Democrats to 10.3. So they increased from 43 to 46% of the vote. Republicans, big problem for them went from 5.4 million Republicans to 5.3 million Republicans. They decreased at the same time. Those that don't state a preference, which in this case would be aligned with the the idea of of independence, went from 2.5 million to 5.1 million. So do I think that 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 group probably is comprised of people that don't identify necessarily with a party, but lean in one direction and maybe in this case, probably lean a bit Republican in some ways? Yeah, I do. I think they're soft, moderate Republicans who will vote don't don't want to be in the report uh, yeah don't want to say party. yeah i'm an, yeah. I'm, I'm not a card carrying member because yeah. i'm pro-choice so i think look i, I think the world I, I think it's just hard to live in a world where you know they're just not a lot of switzerland's right and 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 that's true both in the united nations uh, and in politics 
Yeah. I, I will say that generally, if you look at any poll or any race, including this one, you know, in this race, almost everybody who said they were Democrats voted no. Almost everybody who said they were uh, Republicans voted yes. Uh, and then the people who didn't identify either way, split 50-50. But we're, we're very tribalized, and that's the nature of our politics. Now, there's more to say about this, but I can't say it because I need to take one quick question for me. I'm going to give you that question. I'm going to give you one though quick thing just to add to this. Oh, Gibbs, you don't take the hint. I know I didn't because uh, you don't have to say it, but I will. If you look at national polling, a lot of times you'll see that whatever that number is for independence in the national polling tends to be what the overall landscape is, right? Because yes, no, absolutely. Differently than California, you know, you can have 70-30 and, and it, it's going to end up, even if independents split 50-50, it's an overwhelmingly Democratic lead because Democrats are the big thing. In a world that's more evenly split, watch the independent vote or the independent opinion to figure out where the broader electorate is. All right, Axe. Exactly. Andrew has a smart question. What is Chris Christie up to? <laughs> yes. Some months ago, he got my attention by declaring that he would make his own 2024 decision independently of whatever Trump does. A serious GOP primary challenge to Trump in 2024 would be better than not having one. But can Chris Christie pull something off like that? Well, you know, this is such an interesting question because Christie was the first of the major 2020, uh, 2016 candidates to endorse Trump, and he was a supporter of Trump up until the end of his administration. He famously contracted COVID advising Trump during the 2020 campaign uh, and hanging with Trump and the COVID super spreaders. But afterwards, he was quite critical of Trump uh, about uh, denying the election and after the events of November uh, of January 6th and so on. I think Christie is either making one of two bets or maybe both. Uh, one is that, uh, that Trump won't run in the end and that the field will be filled with Trump wannabes and that he can be the candidate of, of the smaller cohort of people who are not Trump wannabes or don't want a Trump wannabe and that they will divide up that vote. And in a winner-take-all world of Republican primaries, he can actually emerge on top. That would be one uh, interpretation. Another is that nobody will want to challenge Trump, uh, but that Trump will be uh, vulnerable uh, by 2024 and that he can basically have that whole field to himself. Uh, but listen, I don't know. Chris Christie is a powerfully talented politician, a great performer. He felt like if not for Trump, he could have uh, he could have done he could have been like a PG version of Trump <laughs> in uh, 2016 and and won. So uh, I don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out, but uh, he's not TBD. A, yeah. Oh shoot, that hurts. <laughs> Ouch. That hurts. Wow. All right, it's time to put this wishy washy group to bed here. <laughs> One thing I would say for Andrew, Andrew, you're astute. You do not go to the Reagan Presidential Library to give mm -hmm. a speech if you have haven't been thinking about something that you want to do on the national stage. It's a beautiful, it is a beautiful museum. It is perched on a beautiful spot that Ronald Reagan found flying to and from his, his house in Marine One. You don't find yourself there on accident. Yes, yes. No, Christie is clearly, uh, he is clearly, clearly yep. maneuvering to do something. Uh, the dream lives. And, uh, I, I, you know, he, he once, once was touted as a almost certain future yeah, from a blue state Republican governor, a future Republican nominee. And he has a book coming out in November. 
Yes. Totally yes. coincidental. Just yes. totally random. Yeah. All the evidence is pointing in one direction. Anyway, you guys, Dana, great to have you come back. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Happy to have you. Good discussion. Gibbs, I'll see you soon. Undoubtedly. And again, like I said, next time, you don't have to wear a tie for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't get the memo. I always want to do my best for you. You are girl. wearing a tie. You look so I've got to go on CNN in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have no pants. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye.